Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What's up, Inquirers, and welcome back to your favorite open-minded talk show. Today, I have a guest that was recommended to me by a previous guest. Well, two previous guests, El Santariga and uh, Brian Bowden, and she was an absolute delight to have on, so I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you guys, because I think that you will really enjoy it. But uh, before we get into that, of course, we're going to try to run through the front of house stuff as fast as possible. So uh, if you guys don't mind taking an extra couple seconds to uh, give the show five stars on Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. And if you're willing to take an extra 30 seconds to a minute to drop a nice five star, hopefully review on iTunes, then I will definitely read it on the show and give you guys a shout out. Uh, if you guys have any friends that you think would enjoy anything that I talk about in the show, if you don't mind passing an episode over to them, that's another awesome way to help the show grow. Uh, if you guys aren't following me on social media, I recommend that you do so. If you want to get some updates on the show, uh, know when new episodes are coming out, know if there's any new collaborations coming out in the future. Uh, if you guys want to pop over onto the Telegram or the Discord, you guys can pop in and have some awesome conversations with some other inquirers slash open-minded individuals. So it's always fun over there. Always posting new stuff. Uh, everybody else is starting to kick in a little bit. There's everybody starting to post. Everybody's starting to hang out and uh, it's growing. Step by step, it's slowly growing. And uh, with your guys' help, it'll grow even faster. So, uh, And if anybody is interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're an author, researcher, open-minded individual of any sort, I would definitely love to uh, sit down and have an open-minded conversation with you. So don't hesitate to shoot me a message. Uh, you can do so through Instagram, which is the one that I am the most active on, 
or you can email me at inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Or the third option is that you can go to the link tree and fill out the submission form up at the top, and that will go directly to my email. And uh, of course, make sure you look in your spam or junk folders and make sure that none of my messages get pushed out because I do respond to everybody. So it's just a matter of it hopefully not getting lost in your inbox somewhere. Uh, if you guys are interested in checking out some more work that I do, I also do Bizarre Encounters with my two awesome co-hosts, Orin and Jenny. So if you guys haven't already checked that out, I highly recommend checking that out because that show just keeps getting better and better with each episode and with each deep dive. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do all in one place, be it inquiries of our reality, bizarre encounters, uh, any side little collabs. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard the jingle in the beginning of the show for uh, Open Minds Media. So I highly recommend going and checking out the Open Minds Media Instagram. Uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Uh, the first way is that you can join the Patreon and become one of the awesome Patreon members, such as Brian and Brandy. Uh, over there, there's multiple tiers, so figure out which one seems to suit you the best, but you'll get things such as ad-free shows, uh, early access to shows, live feeds of shows, live replays of shows that you're not able to make it to. Uh, there's some exclusive merch store discounts and uh, exclusive giveaways that will be happening in the near future. Uh, the second way that you can support the show is by donating directly. Uh, you can do so through PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, or you can even go to Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. So if you want to do it that way, go down to the bottom of the show description and you'll see something along the lines of donate through Red Circle. Uh, click there. And if there's a way to leave some kind of a message or something, I'll definitely, of course, give you guys a shout out on the show. And uh, if you do so through any other form um, and it doesn't give you the option to leave a message or something, uh, shoot me a message just so I know who you are. And I can, of course, give you a shout out on the show because I appreciate you guys for any support that you guys give the show. And of course, the third way that you guys can support the show is by going and picking up some awesome inquiries of our reality merchandise over at the Open Minds Media Merch Store. Uh, I do request, though, that if anybody buys any of that stuff, it would be really, really cool if you guys wouldn't mind sending me a picture of you wearing it so that I can repost it on the page and show that there's uh, love and support for the show out there. And uh, while we're talking about love and support... I definitely recommend going and checking out Crypto Theology. I know that I mention it on almost every single show, but that's because I really like Crypto Theology's merchandise. Everything that I mentioned, all available under the link tree, which you can find down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, world-renowned author, Lynn Monet. How is it going today? Hi. Hi, Shane. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I've only heard really good things about you from Brian and Al. And for all the listeners, of course, I'm sure they previously heard those episodes. So here's another awesome guest that fits into the realm of those people. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. And I, I have them on my payroll. So, but anyway, no, they're, they're great, great people. <laughs> so uh, for anybody that isn't familiar with uh, you or what you do or any of your work, uh, why don't you kind of give them an idea about uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, what got you started in your work? Okay. Well, um, I am a world-renowned author. I currently have five, well, I have four books out. I have a fifth one coming out the end of May. I've written the Omnipresent series, uh, which is going to be uh, five different books in the series. The first one that is written is Omnipresent, and it is a story about a haunted house that I purchased as a single mother that was so haunted that I was never able to move into it. Uh, the second book 
uh, is also under omnipresent what happened next and it talks about what happened to the people that I sold it to and also the people that sold it to me then it goes into a time where I'd gone back to school and went through the psychiatric ward and different things and learned some things about people with addiction and mental illness um, and attachments uh, that way. Um, the third book in the series is, is going to be called one, uh, Omnipresent 111 Beckadon Drive. It's a story about a townhouse. There were a row of 10 townhouses and there was a ghost uh, that I have a picture of that I took with my own camera that was going from townhouse to townhouse pulling down women's underwear and crawling in bed with them at night. And he's the only naked ghost I've ever seen. And the picture that I have of him, he's actually covering his his uh, man parts. But um, in addition to that, I've recently released a book called Colors of, the Heaven, Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End. And this story has to do with uh, my, I've been a nurse for over 30 years, 17 of which has been in end-of-life care. And um, so I've seen a lot of people pass away, and I've seen the consistencies with passing away. I also saw my mother pass away, and I saw her actually leave her body, and I was able to peer into the other side and kind of see some of the inner workings of what um, happens. I wrote this book hoping to help take the stigma of death and dying away um, for people because there is actually a peaceful beauty to it, as well as to give them ways to know that their loved ones are still around, even though they've crossed over, or to even communicate with them for that matter. Um, in addition to that, I currently also have released a book called The Gap. I have I had a late life baby at 46. I am going to be 60 in May. And uh, I was looking for a book for my daughter that kind of left off with the birds and the bees and picked up where the human trafficking started. And there really wasn't anything. There's like this gap. So I called it the gap. I had two therapists ask me to write it and it's for adolescents and teens and it's everything covers everything from, you know, not going out on a date with stinky sneakers because no matter how beautiful or handsome you are, if you're stuck in a car with windows shut with somebody with stinky shoes, it's not attractive, as well as what to do if a condom breaks and also talks about it doesn't. When I say condom breaks, it, it's for people that are sexually active so that they know how to protect themselves. Um, but also it sets some boundaries and gives some good, healthy boundaries about body respect, this new gender, um, this new these new gender generation uh, that's occurring to explain it to people of what it is, as well as also letting people know that it's okay to be what they were born as well, you know, and whatever else, you know, that they feel that they want to be. So it's got some good pointers in there. Um, it talks, it even has pictures of a um, lever inside of a trunk that you can pull to get out if ever you get stuffed in one that people aren't aware of. But it gives some good direction for kids. And I definitely recommend that the parents read the book first because it's not candy coated. It is very straightforward. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to want to read it, make sure that it's appropriate for your child. So anyway, those are the five books that I've written. How I, um, start, how this all got started for me is when I was about five years old, I've always had gifts, uh, the ability to see things. I call it the gift of second sight. And, um, I, when I was five years old, we lived in a house that was three short blocks behind a hospital that was connected with a nursing home on one side and had Indian mounds on the other side. So we would see, my siblings and I would see patients walking through the house in patient gowns and Indians walking through the house. And to us, that was normal, you know, but um, back in the 60s, that wasn't something that you wanted to talk about because everything was about what the Joneses thought. And 
You know, you let that kind of thing get out. I mean, you literally would have men in white coats knocking at your door to take your kid away. So um, it was something that, um, you know, was uh, my parents did not support it at all. But there was one day in particular that my brother and I, we were in my, my parents' bedroom I was in my mother's jewelry box decorating myself like little girls love to do. And my brother was on the floor playing with his cars. And I had turned to show my brother how glamorous I had made myself. I was dripping in rhinestones. And he was fixated on the corner of the room. And so I turned to look to see what he was looking at. And there was like this misting in the corner of the room. And in the corner of the room stepped in his best friend, John, his brother, John's brother, mother, and father, and they all just stood there in this mist, which I since learned is a portal, um, I, and it's also called ectoplasm, but not the gooey kind with the residue on the floor, more of the misting kind. And my brother and I got up and we ran out of the room. I ran in one direction, he ran in the other, looking for my mom. And I hear my brother, he finds my mom, and he says, Mom, Mom, John's here with his family. And she's like, I didn't even hear anybody knock. And he's like, and they're in your bedroom. And she's like, they're in my bedroom. Who let them in my bedroom? So, of course, my mom leaves the dryer and she's folding clothes and she's rushing in to get these people out of her bedroom. And, of course, when they walk in there, there's no, nothing there. And my brother got in trouble. And, of course, uh, yeah, I let him take the heat on that one. But he made up for it later on in life. So, um, but I didn't want to get in trouble, too. But we did see it at the same time. So it was the, the very next day um, was the first day back to school after spring break. So it was a Monday. So it was a Sunday that we saw the, the um, his friend, his best friend, John and family in my, my parents' bedroom corner. So he was on the bus going to school and little John wasn't on the bus. He usually sat with him. So, and he was his buddy at school. He, their desks were side by side and they'd sit together. And again, he, John, little John was not at school. And after the Pledge of Allegiance, the teacher stood up in front of the class and announced that John would not be returning to school because he and his entire family perished in an auto accident on the way back from holiday for spring break. So, when we got home. My mother, of course, um, didn't, you know, she had heard she was friends with John's mother and she didn't really know what to say about it. So she kind of didn't, she didn't support us in, in what we were seeing, but she didn't deny it as much. Then my mother went through a stint with, um, when I was about 10 years old, I was still seeing things. And she went through a stint with the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is a book in itself, but we won't go there. And, um, being 10 years old, she took me in front of the elders, which the elders are similar to a priest or a minister or the person, the head of a church that makes um, the decisions. And I'm standing in this room at 10 years old with all of these men looking at me, and I, I'm scared to death. And they're telling me about how I'm possessed and how um, I'm going to die in the fires of hell and what I'm seeing is demons. And I became so frightened of my gifts that I, I got to the point where, I mean, I would still see things, but I would run out of the room just as fast as anybody else thinking that it's a demon or a monster or something that was going to get me. But um, moving forward, when uh, as a single mother, I had two children at the time. I had a third one after all of this happened. But the children, and this is my first book, Omnipresent, Brittany and Austin are my children's names in, in the book. Um and I was looking for a home for, for my children, and I ended up purchasing this house that was so haunted 
that I was never able to move into it. It was that bad. There were. It turned out that there were two demons in the house, one of which was a hell dog or hell hound, and the other one was a young man that had hung himself in the house. And the thing is, is being exposed to that, I then was able to um, get in touch with people of like mind who were seeing things in the house at the same time I was. And so I started to realize that that there were other people like me and I started to nurture my gifts again and I, I wasn't afraid of them as much anymore. And over time, you know, again, building a a, a, a supportive network of friends of, of like mind was, was a huge help. So um, anyway, we ended up never, ever uh, moving into that house. And anybody that wants to judge, yes, I did have to sell it as a single mom. I will go into some details in just a little bit. This is just a snippet of, of some of the things. But um, I did try to tell the people that I sold the house to that it was haunted. And they didn't want to hear it. They said that they were Baptists and that they were protected and that they didn't talk about demons and ghosts and that sort of thing. But they had a for sale sign in their yard six months later. And I and that's book number two. And then I went ahead and I also got a hold of the people that sold me the house and found out how their children were being attacked in the house and how, you know, all of these things um, were happening. But um, that's kind of how um, I, I got into what I'm doing now, um, helping people and, and those sorts of things and how everything kind of came along for me as a child. So in a nutshell, that, that's kind of how that happened. Say so you have uh, many talents and you've been around doing a lot of different things. And uh, as far as your gift, I was going to ask, so when you kind of like repressed it for a little bit, did it start to like kind of close up on you? So you didn't like see as much possibly. And then when you kind of started to reopen it, you were able to see more again or was it all just kind of like a constant thing and then you kind of tried to just like ignore it and pretend like it wasn't there or you tried to get away from it as fast as possible you, you know it it seemed like it suppressed it because i i was because sometimes i have to notice things and other times they just come on their own so and i wasn't purposely noticing things i was kind of having blinders on to uh, to go in the, and you know to to avoid it and not only that but when a child goes through puberty and at age 10 was when I started being afraid your gifts kind of subdue and even go sometimes even dormant during that time and then they they just explode you know on the flip side when you when you get older turn about you know 16 to, to 21 and and they just pop you know, back open. And so, and I don't know why that is. I guess it's a time for growth. I, I don't know why that is, but I found that to be that way with my own children who are all empaths and who were supported as empaths. So they all have uh, gifts. But, um, you know, the, the, the sad part for me is the fact that um, when I was little, I could hear them and I could see them, but now I can only see them. And once in a while, I can hear them but not, not all of the time. Um, when they approach me, sometimes I know they're trying to communicate and sometimes I can't tune in with that frequency with them. And then other times, you know, I can plainly hear them, them talking. So I'm kind of hoping to get all of that back, you know, over time that was kind of, um, kind of, I guess not taken away, but I had blocked it out so much that it, that it, uh, kind of went away. So I always wonder if it's a, like a matter of everybody has these abilities, but it's like a matter of your parents and everybody kind of pushing you away from it. So like if you grow up in a house where there's activity, uh, more often than not, it seems like everybody kind of develops some type of ability because I feel like you're born with it and you lose it as time progresses on. 
And uh, again, maybe it's you block it from yourself. Uh, maybe it has to do with something that, you know, has to do with like water calcifying, like the, the penile gland, however you want to kind of view it. Um, but that's, that's kind of like a, one of those things that I feel like if you just kind of like flourish it and let your kids kind of just fall into it, like hear what they have to say, not tell them that they're dreaming, not tell them that it's not there, that like it could just keep growing their entire life and who knows where they might possibly be later on in life. And, uh, I mean, it's even harder again, coming from, uh, like your background when you first originally started having these experiences, cause it wasn't nearly as accepted. So you had a while before you're able to kind of start falling into the gifts on your own and you never really had anybody that really helped you push it. But at least you had that one experience though with your parents where it was kind of like they may have believed that it was all woo woo, but it's kind of hard to deny that after, you know, you see somebody that passed, that passed away, not realizing that they passed away. And then the following day you hear that they passed away. Like there's, there's no denying it at that point. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and what you said is very, very true about, you know, parents and being every, everyone is born with the ability to do this. Everyone is born and that, and, and it's all, a lot of times it's taken downplayed by parents, you know, oh, there's nothing there. Oh, there's no such thing as ghosts. Oh, it's just your imagination. And then as you get older, they just flat out take you to the, to the psych ward and say you have schizophrenia, you know? So, um, you know, a lot of people do have these gifts, but they kind of hide them because they're afraid, you know, they're, and, and that's why it's so important, um, Shane, like this show that you're having on the radio for people that can connect with this, that they could say, you know, that happened to me. And then they don't feel so awkward. They start to come forward and realize that there are other people that have had the same experiences and that there's not anything wrong with them. You know, so that is so important. And, you know, mentioning children too, um, and, and a lot of, and I want to say this too, a lot of traditional religion also kind of, kind of shoves that away as well. And then people become afraid of, of, of even seeing a, a loved one come back you know, to visit from after they've crossed over, they, they feel uncomfortable with it, which I talk about in my book, Colors of Heaven, about all of all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, the thing is, is that with children, you know, so many times, and I, and I try to express this to parents, that it's so important that when your child comes to you more than once saying that there's somebody standing at the foot of their bed or somebody that's, you know, shaking their bed in the night or somebody that's been visiting with them. And again, I say this more than once because sometimes, you know, things are fleeting, but it's so important just to understand that just because you can't see it does not mean that it's not there. And to give your child tools to empower themselves in such a way that they can protect themselves from it. Because a lot of times parents will say to their kid, oh, that's just your guardian angel or your Aunt Lulu who passed away coming back to watch over you. The truth of the matter is, is if it was their guardian angel or their Aunt Lulu, they wouldn't be standing next to their bed in the middle of the night shaking it and scaring the bejesus out of the kid and pulling their covers off. If it were Aunt Lulu, it would be a very warm and loving thing, and it would not be something frightening at all. So parents, more so than saying, oh, there's nothing there, or it's Aunt Lulu or your guardian angel, you know, need to say, well, is it something that's making you feel uncomfortable? Is it something that's telling you to do something that you know you're not supposed to do, you know, type thing? Those are the questions that you should be asking and then empowering the child by saying, tell it. 
you know, that, you know, that, that you rebuke it, tell it to be gone, start giving them a little prayer to say out loud, give them a, a hymn or something, you know, that's, that's kind of based in whatever religious belief they have that would kind of shove it away um, and, and to stand up to it and say, you have no power here. So, um, and parents, a lot of parents don't have the tools to be able to pass on to their children in these types of situations. So it's so important that 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 happens because the children, their filters, they, there are certain mental filters that they have start to go into place at around age six and they carry them through almost to the end of their, their life. And when they start on the flip side to start to get ready to cross over, those filters efface on the other and the inside. So they also start talking about seeing loved ones, you know, in the hallways and sitting in their room. And a lot of times, even, you know, the uh, people in a room with a person that's actively passing, will hear them talking about uncle Joe sitting in the corner. But of course people are so uncomfortable with having a dead person in the room that they're going to run to get the nurse, to get the medication to give to the, to the patient to shut them up because they're not comfortable with that because they can't see it and they've been taught to be afraid of it and uncomfortable with it. And really, it's something that's very natural. I mean, death is part of life. You know, it's very, very natural. So say so one thing that I never quite got was that a lot of like religious backgrounds, they kind of like demonize it or try to make it like you were in your situation yeah. where they make it sound like you're seeing demons, but rather look at it as like a tool that you're able to experience these things and actually see these things because assumably, you know, if you're into any religious belief, you do believe that there's a world beyond our world. So when you have direct access to it, I don't understand why people start trying to deny it. You know, like even back in the day, if you're looking at it from like a more of like a biblical sense, um, people that had these kind of gifts or abilities would have been known as prophets. And then you go to like, uh, even like tribes or uh, other cultures and you had like clever men, uh, you had shaman, all those types of people. And those are the people that still made those connections to the other side and they were seen as very wise because of it so it's kind of like a weird thing that as a culture we used to look at that as a tool as a gift and then we kind of went up this peak where we kind of started to deny it even though we still believed in all of these different religious views and now we're kind of coming back down to the fact where we're starting to kind of fall back into it and understand it again and it's like i don't understand why there was a pull away from it in the first place because again you're you're denying half of what you believe in by telling somebody that they're not seeing these things or by telling them that they're possessed by demons for seeing these things. Because if anything, in my view, if you were possessed by a demon, why would the demon want to show you the other demons? If anything, you would want to look at it from like, maybe it's a positive thing that there's something good that's letting you know that there's these demons around you. Because of course, like, why would a demon want to give up what they're doing at their location intentionally? Like, it's, it's not a demonic gift to begin with. Absolutely. They're God-given gifts. And the thing is, too, is I'm glad that you mentioned that, because in addition to religion, it's also the medical field that also presents it as being cray-cray. You know, I mean, crazy or, or, or you know, with, with schizophrenia or anybody that's, that's, you know, hearing voices or whatever, that there's something wrong with them. So it's also with that. And all of it started to kind of shift and change, uh, probably on a subject that can't really be discussed. So I'll say it a little bit of co uh, in code. When people started to realize that they could make money on it by taking a pill, um, all of that, you know, um, if, if it's something that can't be treated with medication and a pill that stockholders can, can you know, can uh, reap the rewards of and, and people, you know, in, in the higher in the administration, then, um, then, you know, they don't want to hear about this other stuff because it, because the other stuff is free. So, 
you know, it, it is, um, it's, it's, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't even want to go there because I don't want them to take your show off the thing. But you you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I so, talk about I talk out about all this stuff on the show all the time. So <laughs> whatever you got to okay. say, I'm always open to just, just say it. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, you know, I mean, once once the government and things like that get into play with, with you know, even a long time ago, everything, they want it structured in a box. And, you know, anybody outside of the box, they hang them because they think they're crazy or something back in the day. And here now, if a, dry, if a pill doesn't take care of it, I mean, even as a nurse working in end of life care, I mean, so many people would start to see loved ones coming in at the time of death. And I have some some beautiful stories that really, really bring that home. Um, if you'd like me to share some of those. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure the listeners okay. would love to hear it. Okay, well, I had a, I, as a nurse, um, I had a lady by the name of Edna, and she was blind, totally blind. And um, her, she was kind of new to the unit. I worked in the skilled unit on a three-level um, facility that had the independent living, the assisted living, and the skilled unit. And um, her son, the son and daughter come to the nurse's station to get me, and they say, Mom's talking to people in the room that aren't there. Well, I knew what that meant because she was in that state of transitioning. So I walked down the hall. I said, well, you know, let me come with you and see if I can, if your mom's having discomfort or if I can, you know, help her be more comfortable if there's anything that she needs. So we all walked down together. And when we walked into the room, Edna was laying at a slant and she was reaching up into the air like she was being given something very fragile because she was smiling and handling it very, very delicately. And um, I asked her, I said, Edna, I said, who's here? And she says, George. And her daughter turned as white as a sheet. She had to sit <laughs> down. She said, well, George, George is my, my father, she says. And, but my father's been, you know, he's been deceased for X amount of years. And then Edna pipes up and she says, and he's glad that you're taking good care of Pixie. And um, Pixie was Edna's poodle. When her husband passed away, the son had to take possession of Edna's poodle because Edna being blind couldn't care for the dog anymore. And Pixie was still very much alive. She was an old dog in her teens, but she was still very much alive and the son still had her. And the son said, well, I have Pixie. And he then had told me the story. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, listen, I said, you know, um, I said, how about, I mean, do you mind if I try something with your mom? I said, I'm not trying to change your belief system or anything, but a lot of times in my experience, loved ones do start coming forward to collect you know, their loved ones to help them cross over. And I said, and I'm not trying to change your belief system, but, you know, I, would you mind if I try something? He said, no, go ahead. So I asked Edna, I said, Edna, can I ask George a question? And she nodded her head, yes. And I said, what color is your son's shirt? And she said, yellow. And he was wearing a yellow Ralph Lauren polo shirt. Keep in mind, this woman's totally blind, no shadows, nothing for 10 years. So George told her it was yellow. So in that moment, it was very, very profound for the son that his father was in fact present. And for anybody that's listening that's into UFO stuff, it is all connected. It's all connected. There are, there are those there too. Okay, um, not the bug-like ones, but there are other beings from other solar systems that are also present there that come to help and step in. So, and I mean, really, if you think about it, too, it would be ignorant on our part to believe with all of the, the stars out there with solar systems around them that we are the only um, 
you know, beings in the whole universe. There are there are probably people like us in other solar systems. So um, and, and, and other types of things, too, in other solar systems. And I say this because when my mother passed away, I did see these big, beautiful, very, very tall beings that appeared as angels, but without wings. And they walked with the angels. So um, I'm saying saying it for that reason. But the thing is, is People, even with the medical field, they consider this hallucinations. I have another story that if if you'd like me to share, um, it was a lady named Abigail. She'd come to our facility with her husband because her husband's health was starting to fail. So they needed that three levels of care. But um, Abigail ended up slipping and falling and fracturing her hip. So she ended up on my unit with me. And one day I came in and she was upset and I'm like, well, you know, what's the matter? And she says, Lynn, do you think I'm crazy? And of course I'm teasing her. I'm like, define crazy. And she's <laughs> like, no, no, no. She's like, like crazy, crazy. I mean, we had that rapport. I could tease her a little bit. She'd been on my unit a while. I absolutely loved her. She was just this huge personality. And she said, no, crazy, crazy. Like, and I said, well, no, of course not. Why, why would you even say something like that? And she said, well, I see my parents And it makes me happy. She said, I know that my parents have been dead for a long time. She said, but they they visit me and I and I and it makes me happy. And now that, you know, that the doctor wants to put me on medication for hallucinations. And she said, and I don't want to not see my parents anymore. So she was afraid you know, she didn't she was afraid of taking the medication. So I told her, I said, Well, look, first of all, in report. They told me that you were going to be discharged tomorrow morning, I said, to your home. And as your advocate, as long as you're of sound mind, which in my book you are, I said, you can refuse to take that medication. You do not have to take it. And she was happy with that. So she ended up being discharged and she went back to her apartment. And about six months later, her health started to decline rapidly and she was back on my unit. And um, and only this time, in addition to seeing her parents, she was also talking about seeing this woman that would come to her room with a little girl. And because it was so real to her, she would take cookies and cake from the dining room and bring it back to her room to give to the little girl. And this, of course, was creating a bug problem in the facility. So we had to stop her from doing that. But the thing is, is let me just explain to you the way that I see spirits is I can see them as clear as I see you. I'm out of my peripheral vision. I can tell you what they have on, how their hair is fixed, if they've got makeup on or not type thing, you know, if they appear, you know, that way, because they, most of the time they present to you the way that you remember seeing them last. So you will recognize them. And, um, and that includes make my, my grandmother, my mother's mother, when she came into the room when my mother passed away to help her cross over, she even presented in glasses. So, I mean, they present, that way so that you recognize them so anyway um in the case back to abigail um so when i when i do see them i see them as plain as i see you and and when i'm looking at them from like in front of me at a little bit of a distance i see them better it kind of reminds me of like when you are at a mall and you get out of the parking lot and you're walking towards a store with the big plate glass windows where there's where you see your reflection that is how they look to me at a distance. And when they're closer up, I see this waffling to the air, kind of like gas fumes or hot vapors on a road, that, that waffling to the air. So anyway, um, 
I uh, ended up working a day shift for a friend of mine uh, covering, and I was uh, all of the patients had been put back in their rooms after lunchtime, and I was getting ready to head down the hallway to do my treatment. So I'm pushing my cart down the hallway. I'm passing Abigail's room on my on my left hand side, and I notice that she's sitting in her recliner next to this big picture window, and she's leaning forward with this piece of yellow butterscotch wrapped candy. And I noticed that there's this woman in her room with this little girl. And Abigail's trying to hand the candy to the little girl. And so I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that's nice. Abigail's got some visitors today. So I continue to walk down the hallway, maybe about five steps. And it hits me. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, um, I don't remember those people signing in at the desk. And we have to have a head count so that if there's an emergency the fire department needs to know how many souls are in the building to get out. So I stepped back and I knocked on the door frame and she invited me in. And when I walked in, there was nobody there. But I could see that waffling in front of me just off to my right hand side. And Abigail says to me, and she's still sitting there leaning forward with a piece of yellow butterscotch wrapped candy. And she says to me, she says, I want you to meet my friends. She says, isn't the little girl beautiful? And I said, yes, she is. And she just about came out of her chair. She leaned forward. She's like looking at me kind of squinty eyed and then big eyed. And she said, can you see them? And I said, yes, I can see them. And she said, don't tell anybody because because they'll think you're crazy and put you on medication. So here this woman was now highly medicated for hallucinations she was still seeing the ghosts because they were not hallucinations, and she had the wherewithal to know the difference. So um, she all, she ended up crossing over about three months later, and sometimes they can see people as much as um, three months early, you know, not three months early, as much as a year early, and they talk more about them as it get clo- as it gets closer. Some of them talk, you know, even that, that far out about them. But the thing is, is they're seen as hallucinations, and so. They're not again, they're not supported, you know, with that. And they're given a pill and basically to to, you know, keep them quiet. And uh, but these are not hallucinations. They are loved ones that are coming in to collect them. I saw my mother um, leave her body when she passed away. And um, it was such a beautiful thing. I was uh, in my mother was in hospice. And the thing about people when they're getting ready to cross over is a lot of times they know about it, they'll start talking about, oh, I'm going home tomorrow, or I want to say goodbye to you because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, meeting my, my Jesus or my parents or Buddha or whoever it is, and they're going to connect with them and, and cross over type thing. My mother, um, the day before she crossed over was wheeling around the facility in hospice telling people goodbye. And she even told this one lady that she would take care of the lady's dog. The lady had just had her dog put down three days earlier. And my mom was saying to her, well, I'll take care of your dog until you finally come, you know, until you cross over and then, you know, your dog can be with you. And lo and behold, she did pass away the next day. But the thing was, is that um, I was, uh, I was the only one there when she went to pass away. And a lot of times too, people, when they're going through this transitioning stage that nurses know it's called rallying, um, where they're kind of testing the limits and going in, up, you know, testing, you know, the, the other side and going in and out of body. Sometimes they leave their body ahead of time. They'll leave their body before it's, it has finished breathing 
Um, and then the body just finishes, you know, sometimes even even a whole day will go past with the spirit not in there. And then there are other times that they choose to stay in until the last minute. And in my mother's case, she chose to stay in until the last minute. And I know this because even though she could no longer verbalize and her eyes weren't able to open anymore, she would respond by moving her eyebrows up and down and trying to mouth words. And it was appropriate. People would come into the room and say, hi, Phyllis. And she would make her, 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 her facial expressions with the eyebrows and the mouth in acknowledgement. So um, when, when I'm, as I was sitting there, I noticed that that misting again, that portal misting started to fill the whole side of the room on the opposite side of where I was sitting from floor to ceiling, wall to wall. And I could see movement on the other side. And every once in a while, I'd see a pant leg stick out or a shoulder and you could see the movement. And like I said, they do show up in clothes. Nobody wants to see mom naked. You know, you're crossing over. It would be like, you know, he'd want to cover up. You'd go get something on, please. So um, they do present that way. And as I mentioned, they present usually the last you know, way that you, you know, you remember them last. And again, the thing about death too, I want to say this is, at the time of death, you can choose to cross over or not. You don't have to cross over. And that's the ones that choose not to cross over, the ones that are usually left haunting people's houses. But um, in the case of my mother, um, I noticed up towards the head of her bed that the misting started to efface and in stepped my grandmother, my mother's mother. And she walked over to the opposite side of the bed. I'm saying the opposite side from where I was sitting she was on the opposite side, and my mother was also sitting at a slant, and my grandmother started to stroke the inside of her arm, and my grandmother went forward to my mother's ear and said something in my mother's ear, and my mother starts doing that mouthing and eyebrow thing in response to whatever it was my grandmother was saying to her that I couldn't hear, because at that point, when they're in that stage of rallying, their filters face so they can hear the telepathy coming in from the spiritual side as well as they can still hear the communication on the human side in the room. And um, you can learn so much from a person that is dying if you can get past that, that loss feeling because people, they are not dead. They are not dead. You will see them again. You'll see your animals again. You'll see your mother again. This is not the last stop. You will see them again. So anyway, um, as my grandmother was doing this, she did this two additional times. And my mom, again, appropriately would, would respond with the mouthing and the eyebrow thing. And then I see this frantic wave behind my grandmother's head. And I could smell my sister's perfume. I, my beautiful sister, Robin, she's my baby sister. She was murdered by a jealous boyfriend when she turned 20 years old. And um, she, she was waving frantically and she came around the misting and actually embraced me. I could feel her beautiful hair falling over my face. Her perfume just filled the room. She, had, she wore a unique perfume back in the 80s called Latisse. And um, whenever she's around, even still, I can smell that perfume. So um, when she went back around through the crowd, the whole wallaby face, and there were hundreds of people in there. I mean, there were people in there that I recognized from this lifetime, some uncles and aunts, my grandparents, few you know, cousins and things and friends that had passed away. There were a lot of people there that I didn't. But when my mom crossed over, she recognized those people. In addition, you know, the ones that I didn't recognize, she knew who they were. So um, anyway, there, there were all of these people and there, there are colors on the other side that 
we do not have here. You would need multiple color wheels. And the thing about the colors is, is that when you connect with them, they're not just colors. There's a life force about those colors that when you connect with them, they're almost like living colors. And they're just, I mean, they're just gorgeous. There are so many things that, you know, I could tell you about about that, but I know that we have uh, some limited time here. So when my mother, after when my mother was still laying there, I went over and I kissed her and I said, mom, grandma and Robin are here to take you home. I said, it's time for you to go. It is so important to let them know that it's okay for them to go. Sometimes the grieving process anchors them here and they, they, they sometimes take longer to pass. Um, and sometimes, you know, it does kind of hold them here a little bit, especially elongated grieving for years. But, um, and again, they're not dead. So you are going to see them again. So um, I, I told her that and my mother took her last, she did the mouthing thing and the eyebrow thing to me in response. And she took her last breath about 10 minutes later. But the thing was, is before that happened, I'm sitting in the chair and I noticed that next to my mother's bed, there were these group of, of beautiful spirits that had kind of um, circled around like a football huddle, only like double layered like a peony flower. And when they kind of stepped away to open, my mother's spirit was actually standing in the middle of them like they were trying to stabilize her spiritual feet. Sometimes they'll shoot through the ceiling like a football. Sometimes they'll walk out past you. They have their own different ways of however they choose to leave spirit-wise. But um, as she was standing there, these people were coming up one by one, you know, coming up to greet her. She was beaming and elated. And, you know, the feeling that comes from that other side, there, it is such a feeling of elation. There are no words to describe it. There are no feelings that we have that could possibly touch what that feels like in, in that moment for to, to be to even get to be involved in that. You know, you, 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 it's such a, it creates such a longing for it when they take when they leave. So um, anyway, as she's standing there and she's greeting the people, um, the room starts to thin out. My mother then is escorted with my my grandmother and my sister, as well as these five other beings. Um, some of them looked, appeared angelic with wings. There were these two magnificent, very, very tall beings that looked to be the level of angels, but there were no wings and their, their heads were skimming on the ceiling. And they, I don't know if they were male or female, it didn't matter. They were just gorgeous, gorgeous. And then there was this other being as well. And they all walked out past me and left. They actually connected in with my head and it felt tingly. But, um, and again, I, my feeling was about those very, very tall beings that they were from somewhere else. They weren't from earth. They were definitely from somewhere else. And they were on just as high of a level as, as, um, you know, uh, the other beings that were assisting her out of the room. But a lot of people, they do see um, loved ones beforehand. I even, and they, and when the veils, when the Filters start to efface, they start seeing them more often. And I can continue with another story if you want on that. Oh, yeah, I'd absolutely love for that. But I got a couple things that I just kind of want to throw up in the air. You may not know the answer to these questions, but they're more so just kind of thoughts that I was thinking of as you were telling uh, telling your story with your mother. Um, so first, when people are like leaving their body and you're talking about at the very end how they're, some people will leave like ahead of time and other people will stick in their body till the end. I kind of wonder mm-hmm. if it's a matter of, 
it's almost like you yourself aren't necessarily like your body, of course. It's more of like a vessel. So as that starts shutting yeah. down, I wonder if people just find it to be easier to move around and kind of just still exist if they like leave their body. So that's why people will do that. And then, of course, people have a fear of, you know, fully going over to the other side. So that's when people, of course, will try to stick in their body to like the very last moments until, the, you know, it gets too, too hard to a point where it's like you can't even really respond back and you have to do like eye flutters and different things like that. So it's just easy to be able to leave it and then kind of bouncing back into like perspective of things um, I often kind of wonder when it comes to a lot of different religions if it's all just a matter of perspective of the same thing and you're talking about how some people will see like Jesus some people will see Buddha um, I kind of wonder if it's a matter of human perspective that you see what you're going to see like the entity or the being is the same thing for everyone but it's just a matter of like you perceive it as this so like they're all religions are actually different perspectives of the same thing and it's just a matter of if you view things from like a buddhist perspective or a christian perspective then of course like the mm -hmm. thing that comes to you is going to project itself um, as whatever thing you're the most comfortable with. So it's not even a matter exactly. of like any religion necessarily being wrong. It's all just, again, different people's perspectives of the same thing. And uh, before we get into your your other story, of course, too, um, I know this is probably a really, really hard question, but uh, you were making reference to the colors that you see on the other side that you don't see in our reality. And one thing I kind of question when it comes to the whole like spiritual side of things is a lot of people think that it's something further than what it really is. Like I often wonder if it's upon us right now, like it exists all around us and they say humans can only see 7% of the light spectrum. So rather than it being that there's like a veil thinning or something like that, I wonder if it's a matter of like you're, it's always there. It's just that at certain times, maybe what's on the other side chooses to kind of let you see it, or maybe your eyes kind of bounce into like a different frequency. And that's kind of where you're able to kind of see that. Or again, when you're in your beginning of life or end of life, you're kind of vibrating in a different frequency. So you're able to start kind of connecting with these things that are all around us. But that's just kind of like what I've kind of built up from it. But of course, I'd like to hear like your mm -hmm. perspective of like what you kind of think the other side might potentially be. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I mean, you you have stated it beautifully, and that's exactly what it is. It is an inner interdimensional thing. Um, where we go is on the fifth uh, in the fifth level. We're on the third level, and of course, the fifth and the third are very rapidly kind of coming together, and you know, just kind of canceling out the fourth in some areas. But the thing is, is that it's, it's like you said, it is a frequency thing. When those filters start to efface, they're able to start to see interdimensionally as well as children are. And I have that gift anyway um, with with what I call second sight. And a lot of us do have that gift anyway that we're able to, you know, to see that sort of thing. But that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's an interdimensional thing. And what you had also mentioned, too, about seeing what, what they see that they're comfortable with that. Yes, that's true, too. And also people, if they're more comfortable with pets than people, they might send a familiar dog in to help lead them over instead of a person. Most of the time, the pets come in the second half because to have all of them come in at once, it would be a little bit overwhelming. And people really want to give their pets their own time and space too. So, you know, and don't be surprised if you hear an elephant come running through the jungle up to you because you may have had a, an elephant as a pet in a past life. So your animals from all over, you know, come to you and, uh, you know, 
know, an ostrich. I mean, pick one. So, um, yeah, they're they're all there, and they come to greet you as well in the second half. Unless you're again, you're a person that prefers. You're more of an animal person than a people person, than a dog or cat or something like that can be sent in and placed to greet you first and help you cross over. And then you have the grand thing. And I'd like to say also, when it comes to death, there are three different kinds of death. There's a natural death, which most of us have. There is a um, a sudden death, which is handled differently on the other side. And there's also a near-death experience, which is... It's it, you know, you're not staying there. So it's a completely different. All three of those things are handled differently. So, um, you know, save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger less than five miles away or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I always say near-death experience, the best way that I can kind of describe it is almost like if you're by a pool and the outside of the pool is our reality that we exist in. And the pool inside the pool is the other side. It's almost like sticking your head in and then pulling it back out where you can temporarily get a full view and see everything down in there, but you're not fully in there. You're able to pull yourself back out. You're only, only not so much dunking a toe, but dunking your head to actually see everything. <laughs> yes. And you know, it is a lot like that. My, my father had a, a near death experience. He, um, my father, my father was a, a very, very smart man. He was very intelligent. He was a mathematics professor, and he also had a degree in chemistry. And, but he was a very difficult man. He was, a, he was an alcoholic, and he was a raging alcoholic. He was not a happy drunk. He was a nasty drunk. And um, he had gone to his doctor and the doctor for his yearly physical, and the doctor noticed that he had a bulging vein in his eye which is indicative of a clot or something occluding a major artery somewhere. So they immediately sent him over to the emergency room and they started to do tests. And sure enough, he had this really, really big clot that they said would have been a massive stroke that could have killed him within like 12 hours. So they couldn't, it was too big for them to be able to, um, to break it down and make it smaller. So they had to surgically go in and remove it. 
And afterwards, he made it through the surgery fine. He made it to the recovery room. And all of a sudden, the nurse, he's starting to wake up the recovery room nurses there mentioning to him. I'm not mentioning to him. She's going to put some pain reliever, some morphine in his eye, in his IV line for pain. And he said that he noticed that and that this, this voice came over him that said, no, don't take that. And so he verbalized it, but it was too late. She says, what, this is your pain medicine. You don't want your, your pain medicine. And he said that the whole room went black and that he started to come out of his body and he could feel the weightlessness and he didn't have the pain anymore. And he said that he got up to the roof and he turned over and he was watching them come in with the crash carts, trying to resuscitate him. Um, he could hear them calling the code blue over this, the system in the hospital. And then he said he continued to advance, advance up through and that he was in this this tunnel that had like the like millions and billions of these sparkling stars inside even more than they have in the sky and that it was very very warm um, and loving and he could also sense that there were people in in the near distance that were also kind of floating in that dimension as well and he said that in that moment that um, he was able to be six places simultaneously which my mother has also verified from the other side that you can be multiple places at one time and um, so he was saying that in that time that he was with each one of his five, or he had six children. Of course, at that point, my sister had crossed over. So he was with his remaining five children and his new wife that he had just married. They were newlyweds, and she was from Russia. And he, in that moment, as he stood next to me, he actually described the shirt that I had on. He told me the shirt that I was wearing. It was my favorite shirt. It had pastel stripes that I used to wear all the time. It was a soft T-shirt. And he had never seen it before. I was living in a different state, but he described it to a T when he told me the story. And he said that he realized as he stood next to each of his children that we would all be okay if he crossed over, that, you know, we, we, were, we were old enough to take care of ourselves and that sort of thing. But when he focused in on his new wife, he realized, you know, she can't even drive yet. You know, she doesn't drive. She doesn't know how to balance a checkbook. She doesn't understand anything about the American culture or anything like that. And so he decided he was given a choice to come back, to either stay or come back. And when he saw the state that he would have been leaving her in, he decided to come back. He also got to have a brief visit with my sister that was on the other side, of which she wasn't able to communicate with him, but he was able to see her and she was standing smiling. So when he returned, um, he remembered coming through the ceiling very fast and he went into his body and it jolted and all of a sudden he could feel the weight of his body and the pain of his body. But, you know, he had a brief period of time also on the other side where they did part of, did his life, part of his life review or most of it. And when he saw all of the pain that he had caused people in this lifetime, he came back a changed man. He came back and he immediately stopped drinking cold turkey. He became this very, very loving, kind, humble man. He apologized to his ex-wives. He apologized to his children. You know, all of those things. He even went back to contact friends that he had slighted or hurt, hurt even as, as young as high school, trying to apologize to them for that. And he ended up living another 11 years and passed away and, um, you know, at the ripe age of like 93 years old. So um, 
But he was a changed man after he had that experience. And he wasn't a religious man either. Um, You know, the thing about um, angels and things like that and guarding, it's not about religion. They, they, they just are. So it's, you don't have to be one type of religion to have one. You don't have to have religion at all to have, you know, some of these things that, that people have with these ghosts and these, um, you know, beautiful beings that come around and help you. And yes, they want to come in and help you, but they're waiting to be asked and I want to mention this too. It's very, very important that not only do you send love to people on this on this earth, but you also need to send love to the loved ones on the other side. And that's why I love there's a there's a um, Cinco de Mayo, I believe it's called, where isn't that the Day of the Dead for the um, there's a, there is a holiday that's the Day of the Dead for some of the Latin communities, which is such a beautiful thing because they do need to connect with that you know, as well, and still receive the love from us um, on the other side. And people, you know, they go, they go along about their daily things. And they're like, Oh, well, I'm a good person. You know, I go to church, I pay taxes, I, I donate clothes to the goodwill. Those are nice things. And they're good things to do. However, it's not exactly the right kind of good for what is seen on the other side as valuable. It's those selfless kind acts of love that you do for others just because, you know, you step ahead in Walmart and pay the lady in front of you a grocery bill just because you pick up the box of kittens or puppies on the side of the road and get them to a place where they're not going to get hit by a car. I mean, you, t- you know, all of these things are so very important, you know, opening the door for somebody that needs help or helping them offering to mow the lady's grass. You know, little old lady that she can't even afford her medicine. She definitely can't afford somebody to take care of her yard. And she can't do it herself to go over and just mow her grass for her. Those are the things that count on the other side. There's an author named Danny and Brinkley who has had four four near-death experiences. And every time he comes back, he has a lot of information to give. And this last time that he crossed most recently, he talked about what when he came back, that he was, he started hugging people more. And I'll tell you the story too, that, that he had talked about that he was brought back to, but this part first, and people started to notice that Danny was hugging people more. And they're like, wow, you know, you become quite a hugger. And he says, I'm not hugging you. I'm hugging me because every time I hug you, you know, when I get on over onto the other side, I'm going, I'm going to get all of those hugs back and I, that feel good that goes with it. And he admitted that prior to that, he wasn't much of a hugger, but he didn't realize how much that connection meant. And he also said to, um, that before his last near death experience that he was on his way to a party. And even with his near death experiences, yeah, he was still a little bit of a partier and he hit a dog. And he remembers thinking, should he stop? And he's like, no, no, the dog's dead. You know, he felt bad about it, but he just continued going. When he crossed over and had his his near death, he when he you know crossed over, they brought him back to that point of where he had hit the dog, and he had to go through feeling what the dog felt having to lay on the side of the road dying alone. So all of those things are important. Nothing is missed. Nothing is missed. Even how you treat your animals, nothing is missed. And you're not judged on the other side. You judge yourself. And really, if you think about it, it would be it's more effective that way because if you have somebody shaking their finger at you saying, oh, 
It was not, it was wrong of you to throw sand in the sandbox at Jimmy Bob. You'd be ra- rationalizing in your mind, well, J- well, Jimmy Bob spit at me first. No, you have to be put in the shoes of the person of the action that you did towards them, either positive or negative. And you have to feel what they feel and you have to own and be responsible for the re- rippling effect that it creates outward um, for that person and the changes that it made in their life. And you have to be able to, to feel it. And if you think about it, that's really better because if you have to do it that way, you have to own it. You can't rationalize it and try to slip out, you know, with an excuse of why you did it. So, um, and that's kind of how that works. And people need to be, you know, aware of that. Also, everything over there is communicated by telepathy. So if you're somebody that uses the F word often, you know, you might want to kind of start to curtail, cartel, not cartel, anyway, to curb some of that because, you know, you're going to have your chance to be standing in front of some very, very tall, beautiful beings. And if you're thinking, holy crap, but the other word, they're going to hear you. It's going to go out like a megaphone and everybody's going to hear you. Unfortunately, they have a good sense of humor, but you know, you're going to, it's hey, standing in front of these things is a very, very humbling experience. And it's not something that you're, if that you're going to want them to hear your thoughts say, and not only that, your thoughts do go out as energy and they, people do pick it up on another level. They've done so many tests with things like even water and writing the word love and taping it to the glass and then analyzing the changes that it made versus like a hateful word that made it that made it more mucky looking. So people have to be responsible with conveying love and, you know, their their actions, you know, totally. Um, and, and getting it in check before you crossed over is a good idea. You know, and speaking of that, too, I had mentioned that sometimes souls cross over and sometimes they don't. They do have a choice not to cross over. And a lot of times addiction holds them here. The thing about them when they don't cross over is their appearance is um, they still have their mental illness. They still have their addiction issues. They will present still showing the wound or the cause of death, um, whatever took their life. They also, you know, usually show up with what they've had on, and they still also keep all of their senses. But the thing about it is, is that, um, you know, when a lot of a lot of them, they do choose to stay here sometimes, even for religious reasons. Maybe they don't feel worthy to cross over. Maybe it's a parent looking over a child, or a child looking over a, an ailing parent, and then for some reason the child has a heart attack and dies before the parent does, but yet they continue to stay to watch over them. I have a story um, that kind of brings that home, too, if you want me to share that with you. Oh, of course. I definitely have some ideas that I'd like to share, too, if, before we get into that part, too. Um, so okay. this is kind of a kind of a hard concept to kind of explain, but I'm going to try to explain it uh, piece by piece. So I often kind of wonder about the whole concept of like, uh, like family units kind of like traveling together. Now I'm a firm believer in life is about experiences and you're got to progress to get better and better as life goes on. Of course, like you were saying with trying to get better so you can progress onto the other side. So when it comes into like the whole like family groups concept, um, when people have these near death experiences, they'll have their relatives and stuff on the other side that'll tell them like Mm -hmm. how to make themselves better. So my 
view of it is either one, I'm curious if people travel as family groups and it almost seems like you have to wait for the last one to get to the same level before all of you are able to progress to the next step or the next life. And that's why you hear about these like past life regressions and they'll be like thousands of years apart. And then the other kind of thing that I was thinking about when you mentioned that you could exist in six places at once on this other side, um, when you travel in like family groups, I'm almost kind of curious if these family groups might all be the same consciousness, kind of trying to help push each other to get better and better because maybe on the other side, there's like a gift that you can become like the next step. Maybe, you know, for some people's perspective, that might be an angel, um, but you have to live life, go through all these experiences and progress your consciousness to a point where it's naturally wants to be solid good and it is nothing but pure good energy. And that's when you're able to progress. But like I said, my kind of weird split that I'm kind of curious about is if people travel in family groups and those are all split consciousnesses, or if theoretically that could all your family group that people think about could all be different versions of yourself. And that's why when you go to the other side and like you were saying, the person that judges you the most harsh is yourself. It might be because all there is on that other side is yourself to decide whether or not you are good enough to be able to progress to the next level of dimension or the next level of enlightenment or whatever word or phrase people want to kind of put on it to become the next step of evolution of human or consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it is a collective conscience is, is what it is. It is collective. And right now, most of us on this earth, those of us that are involved in this, this kind of thing where we're trying to bring the light to the earth, we have incarnated we have not reincarnated. A lot of us have come from families, and yes, they do, and family groups, and of course, there are extensive family gr uh, groups as well. We have chosen to come in at this time. We didn't have to come in at this time. The people that have reincarnated are, clear, are clearing away because there's some kind of a shift or something that's, that's getting ready to happen. I, I, I want to say by the end of the year, there's going to be some kind of a shift that happens. The atmosphere is heavy. We've got this, this terrible eclipse that's coming up with a Mercury retrograde on it that's really hammering everybody right now. A lot of people breaking up. A lot of people maybe are coming together. It's, it's for change. It's for dr drastic change. And so um, we are all part of the collective conscience. And I don't, uh, you know, sometimes... Sometimes part of your family is here with you and there's another part that's somewhere else and that's how they intertwine. So you don't always have to um, um, wait completely for somebody to finish from what I understand because of that, that intertwining of them. I mean, a lot of times too, when people get on the other side and they have completed, if they've crossed over and they do need to go back through some schooling or something, heaven almost turns into like an airport and they start going down terminals to different galaxies and different places all over. And you're still connected with family um, as well. But um, I wanted to mention the incarnate thing because right now, those of us that are doing this kind of work, we are light bearers and light anchors, and we chose to be here. And, and, and life for us even is, is a little bit harder, I think, than for some, because the dark is constantly trying to dub out the light because it doesn't want, you know, the, the light to be exposing them to make the shift. In society, too, as a whole, it kind of is 
making everything gray where it's like you know in your heart that something is morally wrong but society as a whole is telling people that it's okay now so then you will say something that you know is morally wrong and people will look at you like you're a bigot like you're going against everybody like you're doing something wrong but again it's it's a hard thing because it just makes you wonder if there's evil of course there is evil forces all around us but it just makes you wonder like how much of a push they really have on people and uh like what things in society are like i said it's, it's a hard question now it's it, it's hard to, for even somebody that's thinking morally to say like what is right versus what is wrong am i thinking of this wrong or is that an intentional ploy by society because it's trying to manipulate people to kind of repress this growth because again it's a time of spiritual enlightenment of growth so of course there's going to be a negative force that's trying to push that back and you can see it in society that there's this huge split between people that are kind of for the lack of better term way of saying it like the natural way of living versus this like synthetic way of living and that expands to not even just like spiritual stuff but even just like all the medications like you're referring to too that people's brains if they, they they can't correct themselves if they don't have the opportunity to do so and once you start pumping it full of these drugs your brain will stop producing the chemicals that it needs to because it has a source doing it for it and then you'll never be able to equal yourself back out so now you're stuck on the system and who knows what they could be intentionally putting in that who knows what their intentions are and it may go beyond the medical field they may full-blown know what they're doing and they could be trying to intentionally like instill something dark into you I, I concur with everything you've said. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that. You know, uh, we're coming into a time and then, yeah, it's pretty obvious. I mean, to most of us that the dark is trying to dub out the light. I mean, look at all of the, the, the you know, all of the things that people are talking about now, you know, even, even like with the aliens and stuff, not that that's a totally bad thing. I mean, so much has been hidden from us. So much has been hidden from us to keep us like a, a herd of cattle going in the same direction. You know, and anybody that tries to go out of that, that path, they're, they're chastised or arrested or, you know, or whatever, just to try to keep them or some other scare tactic. And not only that, but there's so much of that sleight of hand going on where these things that are hidden, where they want you to look over here because they're doing something underhanded over there. You know, so it just, you know, it's all of this, this sleight of hand and things like that, but it is definitely a war between the dark and the light right now. And I, and um, yeah, we're, well, we're going to see where that goes. And it seems like the light is going to be winning. So cross your fingers and hope for the best. Um, because like it's, it's a hard push, but again, it's a thing from the media that it makes it seem like things are ne are this way. But again, it's a ploy by the media to kind of contradict people into kind of getting into this new method of thinking and to try to like separate with the way things used to be. And I mean, in turn, by doing so again, like you're here to do something at a specific time, no matter what religion you believe in, you could believe in like spiritual consciousness, like unless you're, you're a complete atheist, like you believe that there's some type of like spiritual path to what you're doing. So when you start doing things that are against that spiritual path that don't make any sense to it like you're deteriorating from that path and then my question is like what's what's like the penalty for that like are you gonna have to go back like a step as far as like your your progress to become something better or to become some type of like being that's beyond human beings mm -hmm. or is it one of those things that again it, this is where the the kind of gray area falls in 
Is it intentional that you're supposed to go through some of these bad endeavors because it could possibly show a future generation that this isn't the way things are supposed to be done? So it's almost like you have to fall into that bad method of thinking to set an example for future generations to become better. So maybe in a weird way, like it is intentional. You know, everything right now is an illusion. It is an illusion. It's not the reality that we're here for. And, and like I said, it's all that sleight of hand and things like that. You know, um, um, when you were talking about that, there are some people that actually go on to the other side that, yes, there are things that they need to, to learn and to correct. And they are sent back in. Like, for instance, sometimes if a person commits suicide, let's just say, we'll talk about suicide for a minute. That is considered a sudden death. Um, suicide is never, ever, 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 ever supposed to be an option. However, medically induced suicide is seen differently and it's more acceptable on the other side because death is already coming. Um, also, in the case of uh, mental illness or accidental drug overdose. But if you are committing suicide to out of spite to get even with your parents or to get even with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is, this is a very, very selfish act. And it not only is frowned upon here, it is frowned upon on the other side because we make, a, we make arrangements um, for life paths before we come in here. And if you've, if you've agreed to come in and let's just say, for instance, a woman come in that she's agreed to give birth to three children. And one of them's going to be the president of the United States someday when she cuts her life short, that rippling effect, nobody gets to continue that path and it changes things permanently. So it's, it's never, ever acceptable. And they are immediately, taken you know in front of their the board and of of the angels and things or the guides that are going to be um walking them through their their um their uh, life review and they're going to say to them they're going to say okay well let's come back to this point uh what do you think you could have been done better you know about this and let them answer their own question that they are put right back in either as a walk-in or as a person around their same age going through the same circumstances, or they sometimes have to be born in even worse circumstances and come back into life. Now, in the case of people with like addiction and things like that, that have crossed over to help them meet their goals that they weren't able to meet in this lifetime, like maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't beat their addiction. They are then placed to monitor and follow a person usually within their family group sometimes not but to follow the person in their family group to help guide that person to overcome the addiction and if that person overcomes the addiction the person on the other side gets credit for that too almost like an ancestral guardian angel almost yes exactly exactly and that's part of their schooling and they, they also, are, like I said, they get, they get, if the person overcomes their addiction, it's as if they have also overcome their addiction. So it, it works that way. But yeah. Um. Say so while we're uh, kind of talking about mental stuff too, um, I know that you earlier had been mentioning that you kind of did some work into looking into like schizophrenia. And uh, for me, at least, I've always been curious if it's not so much that again, that for, for lack of a better term, that people are crazy, but more so that, you know how you say that your gifts perceive to you being able to visually see the other side. I almost wonder if mm-hmm. people with schizophrenia 
are able to hear everything from the other side, but they're not able to like channel it, so to speak, where, you know, somebody that talks and communicates with the other side, they can kind of pick one specific person at that time to talk to, where maybe somebody with schizophrenia, they don't have that blocker to be able to kind of turn it off at certain times. So it's almost just like everybody who's on the other side who becomes aware that that person can hear them. They're just always sitting there trying to yell stuff. And if there's somebody that's trapped on this side or they had some kind of negative emotion, then of course they're going to be spewing that at them. And that's obviously what you hear about most of the time with schizophrenia. But uh, I'm curious if there's ever stories where, you know, somebody's schizophrenia has a voice where it's telling them to do good things or it tells them where something is that's good for them. And maybe that would kind of deter at the fact that, you know, maybe it's not something that's in your head. Maybe it's something that's beyond that, especially if there's situations where, you know, for example, like the, the yellow shirt thing you were talking about, where maybe they'll point something out that there's no way somebody could have known. And then once they come upon it then boom like that kind of solidifies in their mind that it wasn't wasn't their mind like it's something beyond that but i've, I've always been fascinated with schizophrenia um so i'm, I'm mm-hmm. curious kind of what your take and views on it are okay well i'm not a doctor and i'm not diagnosing however i will say this in my experience what i have observed is first of all um a lot of these people with schizophrenia have attachments, so they're not necessarily hearing from the other side, although they have the capability. And a lot of times these attachments are what it's not voices in their head. It's what's being whispered in their ear by the attachments. I've seen arconic type of attachments on people with addiction. They um, show up as spiders, crabs or reptilian They fit like neat little backpacks on their backs. The reptilian one sometimes has a tail like an alligator that kind of curls or a lizard. Sometimes it doesn't have a tail at all. It'll have a human buttocks on the back. But the thing that's very, very distinct about these attachments is they have heads that are extremely small in proportion to their bodies. I mean, their heads are probably the size of a, a softball maybe in comparison to a huge backpack. And they have this distinct fin that starts from the top of their head and goes to the nape of their neck. And it's not rigid like a dolphin, it's floppy because they can turn their head all the way around. And sometimes when they're up on a ceiling, it will flop over. But um, they attach on these people and and they sometimes align their head with the person with the addiction. Sometimes you'll see them peeking around, whispering in their ear. And it's part of the reason why it's so hard for people to get away from addiction. But the people with schizophrenia, um, I have a story. Um, I was doing... I was I had gone back to school to further my degree, and I had to do a rotation through a psych class, and we were taken into various facilities to manage a psychiatric patient. So this particular day, we had gone to this facility. We were in the intake area. There were eight nurses and a teacher. We actually had to sign papers that if we got hit in the head with something or bitten or, or something that we wouldn't hold the facility responsible. And this particular day, we're standing there and this young woman in her early 20s walks up and she points at me and she says, you can help me. I know you can. And of course, I'm like, oh, please, please, please don't let her be talking to me. Please, I hope she's talking to the person behind me because I don't want to be Lynn the weirdo. I just want to be Lynn the student nurse today. You know, but then so the teacher came forward and she said, don't make eye contact. Don't talk to any of them. And she ushered us out of the room. But then I was placed back in that room with another um, with another uh, a per, another nurse that was in there. And 
So the nurse and I are sitting at this picnic table that's bolted to the floor and the young woman walks over and she sits down with us and she starts to tell her story about how when she was 10 years old, she was molested by her pastor until she was 14 and then her mother remarried and she was then being molested by the, the stepfather. And then she ran away at 16 and started doing devil worship, which she didn't feel was for her either at that time. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this woman and she is covered in claw marks. She's covered in claw marks. Now I've seen claw marks before because in that first book that I wrote that I was never able to move into, my friend was clawed to the point of bleeding in that house while she stood next to me in that kitchen on her back and stomach. And these claw marks, they look like cat scratches, not human scratches, but cat scratches. And she was covered in them. She had them coming out of her nose and out of her ear. She even talked about how one of them had a very, very long fingernail and that was scratching her on the inside of her female parts. And they were the facility was claiming that they were self-inflicted. She had on a top with very, very thin spaghetti straps with her midriff showing in short shorts. So I could see these claw marks all over her. And at the angle that some of them were the only, I mean, she would have had to have been a contortionist to have done this to herself. There's no way she could have reached some of the areas at the angle that they were angled to have done it to herself. But they had, you know, they, they insisted that she was. So we're sitting there and she is then called away. It's her time to go into therapy with her counselor, or with her group therapy. And she gets up and she starts to walk away. And as she starts to walk away, she gets uh, uh, probably about, uh, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from me. And I can see on her back over each shoulder, they looked like Santa Claus bags. They were about the size of a standard pillowcase. Um, these clustered together heads that were clustered like grapes. And some of them were inverted and you could see the eyes at the bottom and the mouth at the top. So that's why I'm saying a, a, like a pillowcase, like clear sacks, but they weren't actually sacks. They were just clustered together and kind of in that shape and that size of about a standard pillowcase. And as she's walking away, I'm like, oh my God, you know, this poor young woman really is hearing 25 different voices. She's got attachments on her back. So a little while later, um, she came back from her appointment thing and went into her room and I went in and I knocked on her, the frame of her door. And at that time, I personally didn't feel strong enough to take them off of her myself. I was going through a divorce. I had my mother with cancer living with me and I surely didn't want to have those things following me home. And there's, a, there's rituals that you need to do before you do something like that to protect yourself. You know, your, your salt baths, your, you know, you need to be overflowing with, with making sure that your, your, your art field is, there's no holes or tears or anything in it and that you're, that you're overflowing. So I, I knocked and I wasn't at that point. So I knocked on her door and she invited me in and I came in and I said, look, I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, and if you repeat it, they're going to think you're crazy and they're going to keep you here longer. I said, but I know that you're hearing 25 different voices because you've got attachments on your back. And she started to get this disgruntled look on her face, almost like anger, which is common with those sorts of things when they're exposed. But she turned kind of hastily to walk towards her bed and I could see these things. They were attached at the top of her shoulder like a C-clasp underneath her armpit. And they looked twisted like a grapevine, but they seemed to be the consistency of like a, like a large toenail or horn 
kind of consistent, something that looks kind of hollow. Mm-hmm. And they were on there and something just overcame me and I came up from behind her and I put my fingers underneath those things and I took them off and they immediately started to fall all over the floor. The, the, the heads and started rolling. I was trying to stomp them into the ground. And the girl turns around and she says, it felt like you were pulling grass off my back. Well, she didn't even know because I didn't touch her when I went energetically and moved those things, but she felt it coming off of her back. And I said, look, this is a temporary fix. I said, I did remove some of them off your back. Some of them rolled off under the bed and are still present. I said, and I'm sure that you probably have some at your home, but when you leave here, you need to go and find somebody that can take these things off of you and clear your house. I said, because, and again, if you mention what I've said to you, they're going to keep you here longer and you need to get out so that you can get help for yourself. And so lo and behold, about a year later, I'm in Walmart and I, these two young women are at the end of the aisle and they keep whispering and looking at me. And of course, I'm checking my shoe for toilet paper, thinking maybe my zipper's down or I'm mooning somebody, <laughs> you know. So then all of a sudden I hear one say to the other one, um, I know that's her. I'm going to go say something. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe they've read my book. It's a fan. You know, she's coming over. And this young lady, she comes over and she's standing there and she says, do you remember me? And her face looked familiar, but I couldn't place her because she looked so different. Because when she was in the facility, she had very, very short hair. Her face was pasty and swollen looking because she was on under constant attack. Here's this woman is standing in front of me. She's probably about 40 pounds lighter, beautiful little blonde bob parted down the middle, makeup on. She looked gorgeous. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry you're familiar to me, but I, I don't, I can't place you. She said, you're the nurse that helped me. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, no way. And she was telling me how she was off of her schizophrenic medication and only on something for, for um, mild anxiety. And she was in her first year, finishing her first year of dental hygiene school. So, you know, after seeing that on this woman, I started to, and I'm just going back to that day, I was in different areas of that facility throughout the week that we were there. And I started looking at other people in the facility with schizophrenia. I didn't know they had schizophrenia. I started trying to look at their attachments to see whether they had addiction t- attachments or schizophrenic attachments. And I was right most of the time. And I mean, I would approach some of my uh, fellow students and I would say, by chance, does your patient have schizophrenia? And they're like, yeah, yeah. How'd you know? And I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I just know because they had attachments on them. And the thing about these people with schizophrenia is to, it's like, There was this one lady in this area. It was so sad. It broke my heart. This was the room that people were just put in and forgotten. Their families didn't come to see them anymore. Nothing because they were all crazy, you know, type thing. And and so the families just basically abandoned them there. And there was this lady sitting at this round table and she had a little cup and she had other cups, you know, passed out around the table. And she was having this active conversation that with spirits that were sitting at the table that I could see. And she, um, but, you know, everybody was saying, oh, that's just, you know, so-and-so, and and she's hallucinating. She thinks that she's having a tea party with people. But the thing was, is her conversation was not a vocabulary salad. 
it sounded like she was talking to somebody on the telephone and that I was overhearing only one part of the conversation, which was hers. So they were full sentences. And they and the thing about schizophrenia is they talk about this vocabulary salad and things like that. This lady was not doing that. She was making sense in her conversation. It's just that she was having a conversation with uh, spirits that nobody else could see. So, you know, um, and and... And this happens a lot of times. Uh, like even like I've mentioned too, when people are getting ready to cross over and they start seeing loved ones, they're considered hallucinations. When somebody's sitting at a table in a in a mental facility and she's talking to people, it's considered hallucinations, even though they're seeing there's an energy form there. So, and, and anybody that wants to come um, uh, talk about this from a scientific viewpoint, you know, energy can't be created or destroyed. So when energy you know, when we leave, our energy has to go somewhere, no matter what planet you're on. You know, and when you finish your lifetime, it's got to go somewhere. So if you want to get on a scientific instead of spiritual, there you go. But, um, you know, these energy forms were there and they and just because other people couldn't see them. And even if there was someone that could see them, you didn't dare say anything about it. You know, I couldn't speak up and say, oh, no, she's got three people sitting there with her. You know, not only would I have gotten kicked out of the nursing program, I would have gotten my license taken away, and he probably would have admitted me. That's what I was going to say, too. I wonder how many people actually, like, their conditions become worse because of people thinking that they're helping them in the medical field, and they're just kind of keeping them away from what their actual true treatment should be. And then on another side of that, too, you mentioned that some of these attachments almost look like they're like reptilian. And my question with that is, does that kind of link in with the whole like idea of like the reptilians that will kind of camouflage or like take control over people? Because if so, I'm kind of curious sometimes if some of the doctors that are supposed to be the high ends that are treating like schizophrenia and some of these conditions might be full blown, like taken over by some of these things. And their intention is to try to keep people away from this treatment. And rather than, you know, look at a mental facility, like it's actually helping somebody look at it more as almost like a, like a, like, I guess like a storage for like negative energy and food for these type of beings that they're intentionally trying to keep people in this pot, this state of mind so that they can just keep feeding off that energy. And assumably to these things that are controlling these places. I'm not saying everybody, of course, but you know, one person mm -hmm. that might have some kind of attachment like this, that the attachment full blown is taking over their mental and isn't obvious about it. You know, they're telling mm -hmm. everybody else like what to do medically. And they're thinking that that's honestly what they should be doing. Not realizing that the actual medical advice could be coming from something supernatural to begin with. Well, you know, and there are a lot of doctors now that are coming forward. Dr. Jerry Marvinsky is one. Um, Dr. Renee Nagel is another. Dr. Um, Michael Lynch is another one. They're all people that, that I know and, and communicate with regularly are all coming forward and saying this exact same thing. But, but again, the, the medical community shuns them. I mean, you know, we, we had to get to this point in our age because all of us are around the same age. We're almost close to retirement. And a lot of times we're like, why in the hell, you know, were we even put on this earth to begin with, you know, with all of these gifts? But now we're starting to understand that we had to come to a point in our lives that they can't do anything to us. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to take my license? Are they going to fire me? So I'll just retire. 
You know, it's I'm not I'm not desperate needing a job to raise children and pay for you know what I'm saying and and uh, you know with all of this these college expenses and braces and cub scouts and all of the things that you have to pay for when you're a younger person. So, you know, we're all getting to that point where it's like what are they going to do to me? Well, I mean, the good news about that, too, is that the people that are on the fringe now are the ones that are paving the way for the next generation, where if nobody was willing to take that step and, you know, go right on the edge of fringe, then nobody in the future generations coming forward would even think about that as being a possibility. I mean, even looking at paranormal stuff to begin with, cryptid research, it was all kind of shunned upon, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And now it's coming to a point where people are okay and getting ready to talk about it. But again, if, if nobody actually took that initial step to put themselves on the line to open that door for future generations, then we wouldn't be where we are. So, I mean, a lot of the, um, a lot of Mm -hmm. like the generation that's starting to retire now, you know, they question what they were doing this whole time, but realistically, like if they didn't do what they did, then we wouldn't be where we are now. Like it it was a needed step. That's right. And you and I wouldn't be here having this conversation because we would be in a mental facility right now. So no, and that is absolutely dead on true, you know, and, and it is. And like, for instance, people like us, you know, we have, when we have children or if we have children, I know with my children, I have supported their abilities to be empathic. So they've never been afraid of it and they've never shunned that. And they're actually able to lead and help people, you know, now type thing, you know, so it just, it, it is important and things are starting to shift and change. And that's where the light comes in and starting to dub out the darkness because the darkness can't hide in the light. So, and it's so, so very important um, how you, how things are handled that way and that, um, yeah, that you that you step out of your fear of it, the fear of the unknown, because it's not really unknown. It's all around us. It parallels this universe, and it's all around us all of the time. So, and you, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say I'm probably gonna butcher uh, the actual way that this is said, but I like to always quote this uh, awesome quote from Hunter S. Thompson that says that the wave will only go so far before it hits the break wall and starts to come back. And I feel like we're finally at that point where the wave was continuously pushing and it finally hit the break wall and it's starting to come back and it's starting to pave the new new way for the new generation. And there's gonna be a clear split with the next generation, but it, it's it's again I feel like it's gonna be needed because you can't. Set, decide what's wrong unless somebody's already been down that road. Otherwise, it would have never been thought of before in the first place. Yeah, that's very true. And not, and in addition to that, also, you know, look at all of the UFO sightings. You know, the government has been hiding it from us since the 1950s of their interaction with, with uh, I mean, one of the presidents, and I, the, the name slips my mind at the moment, but one of them signed a treaty with the aliens. And then all of a Eisenhower. sudden we started... Yeah, Eisenhower, we yep. started having microwaves and those, what were those, those, um, those filament lights? Um, gosh, what were they called? Optics, yep. you know, fiber optics all of a sudden started to come into play. And one other thing, all of a sudden they show up on the scene, you know, it's solar type thing. So you know, it just... And then you get the trickled image of aliens in everything because, of course, they got to trickle feed it in so that if somebody actually ever sees one one day, then they're not going to be scared and they kind of know what it is. Like people don't realize like how they they'll Mm -hmm. trickle little bits of stuff in there to give you information just so you have a basic understanding without realizing that you have an understanding of it. Yeah. and And, you know, the thing is, they can't hide it much longer. They can't hide it. I've seen aliens. 
I've seen them more than once. You know, I actually saw them in a patient's room that I, I believe was a hybrid because when I would go into her room on several different occasions, they would be in her room as, ma- as few as three and as many as like five to seven of them. And they were all, you know, th- the same, except one time I went in, one was taller than the rest. But they would go behind this woman and they looked like an old-fashioned uh, telephone operator pulling plugs out and plugging them back into different areas of her body in the room. And so, um, and that's, that's how, you know, I had gotten in touch with Linda Moulton Howe and I ended up on her show talking about this exact thing. They've been, they've been around forever, but it's been hidden from us and people are told, Oh, you're crazy. And they're, you know, if you believe that, that they're aliens, but there are aliens. And so many people have been abducted and have the same stories over and over. And, and that is all starting to come to a head. Now they're not going to be able to deny it much longer. I mean, if you sit down and really think about it, like any rational mind, unless you're completely trying to purposely deny it, knowing how vast the space is, knowing how vast the universe is, there's no way that we could be the only life that exists. Like you see how many stars there are in the sky, especially if you live in the middle of the country and you don't have light pollution, you really get to see the stars. Theoretically, you know, there's multiple planets that exist around each of those stars. So you can't tell me that there's not at least one of them without life. Like at this point, again, if you don't believe in some type of extraterrestrial or even some form of life in the universe, like you're purposely trying to deny facts that are right in front of your face. Yes, that's absolutely true. Absolutely, absolutely true. Wow, this has been this has been an exciting conversation. I think I think we've gotten a lot of stuff out there for people too. So yeah. Oh yeah, and I was gonna say I feel like this is a good spot where there's so much more that we can talk about, and I'm really really looking forward to having you back on next time. Where this time we kind of brushed the surface of the paranormal. We didn't even get, in, get into the extraterrestrial stuff, but at the end of the, at the end of it, it kind of opened up a can of worms. And I know that that's gonna lead into another two hour conversation on extraterrestrials. <laughs> so just to kind of leave a little snippet for people for what's gonna go on in the future. The next time you come back mm-hmm. on, hopefully we'll be getting into uh, the extraterrestrial conversation, and uh, hopefully yes. into your book too, which may even be a third episode because we didn't even really get to cover too much of uh of your books of course too well and that's fine that's fine um also if people want to find me i'm at www.lynnmonet.com i do have my own podcast on tuesday nights i'm on synchronicity on the next level with lynn monet i can also be found on journey through the gate a paranormal podcast the last sunday of every month with cisco murdoch and um yeah, I've got several shows, you know, scheduled coming up, but you can find my schedule on my Lynn Monet page on Facebook as well as uh, my Omnipresent page. They're posted there. If ever you want to ask me questions directly, I do still answer my own emails at this point, and there is a way to contact me. Um, you can purchase my books through my website. There are some of them on Amazon. However, Amazon uh, doesn't pay me so well, and it's not about the money. But I'd like to think that if you are going to give your money away, you'd rather give it to some a single mom that uh, you know has to work too instead of giving it to somebody that's already got more money than God. So <laughs> you know, type thing. But and also, if you get them through me, I um I sign them and personalize them for you, so you would get a signed copy, and they come uh, directly from me. Even better, and of course, I will include all of the uh, links to all of the different. Uh, everything that you were mentioning down in the show description for anybody. So it's quick and easy for them to uh, come and find. Um, but before we get out of here, I always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there was any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Believe your children, listen to them when they talk about spirits in their room and also 
when people are getting ready to cross over, take that opportunity. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, I wish I could just tell so-and-so I love them one more time or tell them I'm sorry. This is your time when a person is transitioning and and a spirit is in the room. Even if it's not the spirit that you want to talk to, you can ask them to go and get that spirit so that you can speak to them. You know, you can ask Uncle Bob what he did with the clock and he can tell you. So, you know, definitely you can learn so much from a person that's actively passing and if you listen to your children. I feel like that brings in a really good sense of closure for a lot of people too, because everybody has that fear, of course, when they're saying their goodbyes that, you know, the person can't hear them or they're not fully coherent. But even what we talked about earlier about them being in the room or possibly still trying to stay in their vessel, um, you know, for, for anybody that was listening and those words spoke to, at least you know that even if they don't, seem to be able to hear you through their vessel, they're around and they can hear you. So, you know, stop beating yourself up about not saying the right things because they were there, they heard you and they fully well know. And even if they were completely gone, I feel like if you had something to say to them, it resonates on a different frequency and it's going to, it's going to find a way to make it to them regardless. Yes. They have all their senses. They can hear you just as plain as, uh, um, Sean and I are talking. I'm I'm sorry. Shane and I are talking right now so they can hear you. This has been an absolutely fantastic conversation, and I really appreciate you making the time to come on today, and I'm really, really looking forward to the next time we get to sit down and have a conversation. The pleasure's been all mine. Thank you so much for reaching out. I've been thrilled, and I'd love to come back. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to uh, hit that five-star rating, of course, and uh, if you enjoyed this episode in particular, don't forget to share it with a friend. And if any of you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can do so through Instagram, or you can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcasts at outlook.com, or you can go to the link tree and fill out the submission form up at the top. And that link tree is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash inquiriesofourrealitypodcast. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.